Hello, everyone, and welcome. Thank you for tuning in. I am very excited to uh, share that we are back with the Unleashing Deacon pod this week. We are joined by not one, but two very special guests from the Silencio Project. We are joined by Theo and Thomas. Theo and Thomas, welcome. I'm super excited to have you guys here. Thank you for having us over. Uh, we look forward to our chat. Absolutely. We got a chance to chat a little bit offline, um, and it was super fun kind of learning about everything you guys are building, and I'm, I'm excited to keep the conversation going live for everybody here. So before we dive into that, can you give a background about who you are, how you got into the space, talk a little bit about yourselves, and, and then we can kick it off from there? <laughs> yeah. Uh, go ahead, Tim. Good luck. Uh, so maybe just a little uh, disclaimer up front, Thomas and I, we're brothers. Uh, so for any... Oh, your brothers. What? Yeah, yeah. I like, love that. In, I didn't no, know that. So, you know, it's it's funny. I, so I don't want to cut you out real quick. I actually also work with a relative and I get the question all the time. Are you guys brothers? You're, we're not. But uh, that's awesome. You guys are brothers working together. Family businesses for the win. I love it. We actually are three brothers working on this business, but uh, we're four brothers in total. So imagine everybody there were four entrepreneurial brothers. That's amazing. I'm sure uh, holiday times are a lot of fun when you come home and and mom and dad are, are getting the full breadth of deep end related projects these days. I'm I'm sure that's how it goes, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, uh, we can dig into that a little later. But uh, one of our brothers has a software development company, and so uh, quite strategic to have him on on the team as well. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Okay, I didn't mean to cut you off, Theo. Please continue. No, no. Definitely. Uh, so yeah, Thomas and I, we've been working together, you know, for the last 10 years. Um, um, actually, uh, previously, we've been doing like seven years of that. Uh, we were in the law industry, so something very different. Um, however, I'm more on the technology and operations side. Thomas can introduce himself in a moment, but um, yeah, um, we, we've been doing that and kind of like our first contact with crypto was in 2016, 17. Um, besides like investing passively, we always were wondering, you know, what could we actively do here uh, hands on? And I guess it took us a couple of years to figure that out. Uh, and by, um, yeah, 2019 or 20, we had our first moment with uh, Helium where we kind of, uh, yeah, came across the, what is uh, called nowadays deep in space. Um, and so pretty excited uh, to have seen all of that trajectory and how we, we got here. Yeah, so That's maybe awesome. to, to uh, add on that, uh, just to our previous life before the Web3 world, uh, which definitely it's, uh, we're having much more nicer and more interesting talks today. Uh, so you, you can definitely trust upon that. So Theo and I were actually working seven years in the intellectual property industry, and uh, we were consolidating portfolios uh, of Fortune 500 companies in emerging market economies. So we were already back then thinking, hey, there are like over a, a 5 billion transactional costs done on a yearly basis, just between law firms internationally, only within our industry back then. And we were thinking already back then, 2016 to ourselves, how can we actually you know, bring this on, on chain uh, in order to avoid the middleman. So when we started talking to the first law firms, we noticed, okay, first of all, the industry itself uh, is usually tends to be one of the last ones in terms of, if you look at a Gauss curve and you would say in terms of technological adaptation, they tend to be the laggards. Um, but on the other hand, we said to ourselves, hey, we were so amazed by blockchain technology that 
as soon as we, we came across uh, a first chance to get actually more involved, and that was, as Theo was describing, that the Helium moment, that was our aha moment, because all of a sudden we understood that what Helium was actually doing and that what they were demonstrating was a much bigger narrative than the one that they were addressing, which is mm -hmm. what we call DeepN now. But they actually demonstrated that they could, you know, all of a sudden solve the chicken and the egg problem with classical Web2 networks and really hyperscale this to, to the masses in order to democratize the, the generation of value and the distribution of the value. So that was for us, like the moment we said, we actually need to get involved in this. And we started becoming uh, one of the largest uh, helium deployers uh, in Germany. And through this, we actually <laughs> jumped in full time and uh, became also one of the largest deployers for other deepened projects uh, all throughout uh, Europe. And we had more or less two years of uh, full-time deployment as a service. So we were enabling people all throughout Europe to jump on board on these projects. And uh, we were sharing, so to say, the mining profits 50-50. And we were uh, you know, bringing investors on board to organize the infrastructure and taking care of all the logistical and, and installation. And through that, we had our exposure to uh, geolocation data. And we really fell in love with that because we felt it was like mining 2.0. All of a sudden, you could really be, uh, you know, creating value for society while at the same time, um, you know, creating long-term sustainable value through this deep end flywheel effect. And uh, that's essentially how we came to the idea of, of Silencio because we felt that those projects that demonstrated us what really worked, what didn't work, yeah, but there were two things that stood out to us. One of them was that uh, Deepen uh, at its core, we felt really has to be addressable and, and freely addressable for the masses. Uh, and at the same time, we felt uh, that uh, we, we really liked the idea of tapping into idle infrastructure. So naturally phones or smartphone ap approach was our way to go when we initiated Silencio. Yeah, that's... Uh, a really interesting background into how you got here. I think, by the way, I'm going to cap that sentence you said about what Deepin is and, and Helium. Your explanation is probably the best explanation I've heard about why Deepin kind of works. I thought that was amazing. I, I'm super interested and curious about how you went from blockchain and IP interest in the legal field to what was the Helium aha moment before you started deploying? Like, how did you hear about Helium? What about it? Like with you, I'm always fascinated how people who are not, you know, into radios find out about this LoRaWAN IoT network thing, and then they jump in and become a, a big time business with with that network. So, what was the the moment for you with with joining Helium? Yeah, I, I would say rather than it being a direct combination of uh, our IoT knowledge before we jumped uh, on the Helium train, uh, I think it was rather the mechanisms in place of Deepin that open up our, our minds. And all of a sudden, we were, when we first came across Helium, which was back in 2019, we were already brainstorming hey, how you could actually use all of this mechanism to solve many other, you know, Web2 networks that have been fading and scaling in order to achieve those networks' effects due to the incentive problem. And on the other hand, the validity of the actual work taking place. So, Back then, for us, it was just a matter of time that that this really starts exploding, like you know, mushrooms everywhere of, of companies uh, popping up. Um, so maybe it actually took a bit longer than we would have expected, but we still think we're at the complete beginning of this curve. 
but it's very amazing to see as the deeper narrative progresses, all the different use cases that you're starting to see, uh, and many of which you could have never imagined. Uh, and we're taking this so far that we even think that governments could be even interested in, in using deepened models to incentivize good behavior. So to add, so said, uh, obviously, um, like, what's the intrinsic motivation here? And for many, I would say, uh, when they started, you know, going down the rabbit hole of like the Web3 worlds and, and uh, just in general Bitcoin and then going into that rabbit hole, I would say, you know, there's that anarchistic type uh, of, of thought, you know, liberating the people, the uh, kind of like cutting off the middleman and uh, power to the people. And then when you start seeing these networks and how, you know, in the Web2 world, the user is, is really uh, also the product to a certain extent but doesn't get rewarded for any of the value that they generate. It's just, it seems so outdated once you start going into this deepened narrative and what you can achieve. And, you know, if you're uh, participating in a network and uh, and deploying uh, also value, uh, that that flows back to the user. And I think that's an idea that's, that's just beautiful and deepened. Obviously, there's a lot of challenges yet. We've proven it on a supply side level on, on, and other deepens have as well. And there's that big challenge on the demand side, which, uh, you know, we can go into a little uh, later as well on, on the advancements we're making that. There was actually on, on that tale, a, a great uh, quote that we read on, on the latest Web3 um, actual release book from, from Alex Tapscott, and that was actually comparing the, you know, the transition right now. If you think about it in the Web2 world, yeah, you have bigger tech players that are essentially not paying at all for the product that they're getting from you. Right. And and the example that they took, it was like uh, like General Motors not paying for the steel and glass uh, and rubber that they need to manufacture a car. So imagine like the crazy margins that they will be making. It's essentially what is happening right now in the Web2 world, right? We, we coming from kind of like this feudalistic system where all of a sudden this mindset really needs to start changing in terms of how value is accrued and, and really uh, shared with, with the people that are accruing. Yeah, that's an interesting analogy. I've yet to hear the General Motors example, but it's true, right? In the Web2 space, you are the product. And if you're not paying for it, that is very much the case. And we now have an answer to part of how we saw that <clears throat> with with this deepen approach. I'm I want to unpack some of the some of what you talked about in terms of you know managing both the supply and the man side we'll get into that in a little bit but at a high level can we start with what is silencio what are you guys building and i'm also really interested in it's a it's a very unique problem that you're solving that i don't think many folks would probably think about being a problem and so how did you even come up with the idea uh of of doing what you're doing and, and we can go from there sure so when we actually started building out uh, decentralized air quality networks in Europe, we started understanding the actual impact that, that you know, negative impact that this had on our health and uh, even, even on world GDP. I mean, air quality is estimated to have an impact of over 8 trillion a year to world GDP. And noise comes second in place as the second most harmful uh, pollutant within the urban landscape and is responsible to over 5 trillion in terms of you know, GDP costs on a yearly basis. So wow. we really started, to, you know, digging deep in terms of understanding uh, the, this problem because 
when we were looking to create a product of our own, a project of our own, as I was mentioning before, it was important for us that it could be something that we could address via the, the smartphone. And given that we had already fallen in love with, you know, crowdsourcing geodata, this felt like, you know, the closest thing we could get to. And at the same time, we also have a personal relationship with noise. We grew up with a dad that is uh, almost deaf. So mm. we were already always exposed to, you know, making sure uh, where we go uh, or what restaurant you go, where he sits, so you can have a normal conversation. And these are things that maybe we thought more people would be aware of. Uh, but once you start understanding that, uh, you know, how it affects your physical, uh, you know, and, and mental well-being and that your bodies are constantly in that fight or flight response mechanism, specifically if you're living in like big cities, let's say you're living next to a busy road or an airport uh, or a train station, uh, you might not feel it in terms of being completely aware of it, but your body is. And uh, that's going to reflect itself in terms of uh, reduction in life expectancy. It's going to re reflect itself in terms of uh, overall reduction of your quality of life. And uh, today, there was basically no way to be able to measure noise pollution on a hyperlocal level. Like we were looking at the solutions that they were all usually static, uh, they were computed, um, and at the same time, they were lacking any type of historical data. So this is when this idea of silencio uh, actually emerged. And uh, we thought to ourselves, hey, what if we would be targeting a problem that even the WHO uh, you know, states that that you know, one in four individuals are going to be suffering from hearing loss in the next 25 years as the cities grow. It's a really a growing problem. How can we target this problem in order to uh, to uh, you know be able to combat it? And uh, let's say the answer to that is you need to understand it first. And for that is uh, why we created uh, Silencio, which uh, essentially is an application that uh, rewards mobile users across the globe for delivering their surrounding noise level readings. So we do this with a very uh, gamified and user-friendly approach. Um, Everybody is you know, able to download the application just in a matter of seconds. We have it on iOS, on Android. You can simply go to the stores and look for Silencio, Silencio Network. You're gonna find it right away. And from that moment on, you're actually already part of the network. You're already adding value. And I think through this, uh, I mean, approach that we took, we were very happy to see that organically we were able to actually bootstrap the growth of this project um, through the deep-end communities that we were already in close contact with. And it led us to be creating now data in more than 175 countries just in a couple of months. And, and that for us was just, wow. I mean, that's the power of deep-end right there. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, and the app experience, I, I got to download it the other day uh, and I've been I've been mapping and, and being a part of that collection process uh, since then. I actually... And you, you told me I get to plug this. I have a my invite code. There's an invite code process that people uh, plug in. So I'm gonna I'm gonna share that here so I can uh, I can be a part of it because I love I love getting to be a, a part of that as well. But um, the the app experience is so seamless, and I think that's one of the really unique aspects of what you're building because you can give users exposure to this this deep end thing through something that is interesting to them, but they don't need additional hardware. So the barrier to entry is so low. I think that's a really Beneficial? Can you? I mean, how how much did that inform your business strategy? Kind of go to market plan with building Silencio. Was it very intentional that you wanted it to be solely app based, so everybody has access to it as, as part of your decision process? Thomas, if uh, you want, I can go first. And there's something you thought I I forgot. Please uh, do add after. Um, 
So there's a couple of uh, questions I hear in, in that. Uh, so I would say the first one is kind of like making sure that the experience kind of feels like Web2, right? And through that, attracts really the masses. You know, there's 7 billion smartphones out there, all capable to measure decibel levels, so to a degree or other. So there's obviously different in, uh, hardware where the quality uh, is also a factor. Um, but all of them could could be, you know, uh, potentially downloading silence and adding value to the network. Um, so with that said, we wanted to create something that was frictionless, that was gamified, and we're only at the very beginning. So that what you see today is an MVP. We we do have a massive upgrade coming now in, in the next days where we are implementing a lot of these gamification features that, you know, were directly also asked by the community. So I think that's also an annex I would like to add here. The, the greatness of Web3 is having, you know, your users, uh, your community out there uh, who are actively giving you advice on and, and feedback on Discord on features they would love to see. So that iteration and constant feedback loop, you can do enormously well in Web3. And given that we're completely software-based, uh, it allows us to, you know, deploy fast. Um, and then kind of on, on the second aspect of your question, uh, we wanted to intentionally do something without having users to, you know, buy additional hardware. First of all, it's really difficult to give a clear uh, indication on the ROI of a hardware. That's the first question. So tapping into idle infrastructure makes sense at the beginning. Given also the, the I would say, the current market situations that we have, you know, they're looking more optimistic, et cetera, but you got to build something that is fair market resistant, essentially. And we always like to say it's like Helium and Pokemon Go having a baby, what we're trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a phenomenal tagline, by the way. I just, I absolutely love that. Yeah. I, I think that's a great explanation, Theo. And I just to add on that, I mean, we're all about really making sure we can tap into idle uh, hardware and, and infrastructure. So, through that, we can also reduce the project CO2 footprint. So imagine if we want to do this worldwide, like the millions of devices we would need in order to, to create a significant data sample in each city. So that on one side. On the other side, we can actually not have to limit ourselves to smartphones, right? We could take this data collection capabilities further to uh, smart wearable devices, such as smartwatches, mm -hmm. uh, earplugs. Ear uh, so noise cancelling headphones, uh, even a browser-based approach, your computer could be delivering this data anonymously. So it, it's super exciting where we can take this further and uh, being able to have the data collection capabilities, let's say, so easily mobilized means that we can really focus the value generation where it's needed most. So compared to other deepens where, for example, you would say, I have my static devices, but if a data buyer actually is interested in a certain area of a city, uh, then it would be, let's say, quite some time until we could get the community to buy the devices and install it where it's needed. But if we create a data bounty and we say, hey, for the next uh, 24 hours, this part of Manhattan is going to pay you X5 rewards uh, for this you know, time of the day, uh, we can easily mobilize the thousands of people we have in that city to go towards where the value is needed most. And through that, you know, get to much larger actual data samples. And we know with the also a lot of big numbers, be able to reduce the margin of error, but to really focus the full value generation where it's needed. Yeah. 
that makes the deep end part of this so compelling. I was when I was talking to Gabe at Hive Mapper, I, I used the word skew the incentive. He says, no, 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 we're not skewing the incentives. We're using the built-in mechanisms so that when there's when you need more supply, you can match that with demand and then and everything sort of reaches equilibrium. And that's stuck in my head. And it's so true. When you need to have additional data, the network can be the driver of of where the rewards need to be, which is amazing. You said one thing though that I wanted to ask a little bit about, which is you said on if this was built into a browser, everything is sort of anonymous. As you're using microphones and and data that would be you're picking up sound decibels, I'm sure people are going to ask the question, how does privacy factor into this? We talked about this offline. Can you share how the, the privacy components come into this for, for people who may be concerned that their microphone is always listening? Sure, sure. I mean, first of all, to clarify, I mean, privacy is of utmost important for this project. If we wouldn't be having the, you know, the highest degree of privacy in place, we could forget about what we're doing here. So First of all, it's very important to mention that we do not uh, record or tap into any type of audio content whatsoever. So we are essentially just measuring a DBA level, which is just a number. And you can, uh, without us opening the code right now, because it is a USB for us, uh, having you know one of the best DBA meters in the iOS store, uh, we will open it up essentially uh, as we gain our first mover advantage. Um, but you can easily check it yourself. You can go on the uploads that our app is uh, delivering to the network, and you're gonna see that the size is so minuscule that it could uh, never include any type of audio content for any type of measurement that you do. So that, that on one side, and on the other side, um, we are gonna be making it as anonymous as possible uh, in terms of how you appear towards the community. So we're even going a step further. Right now, uh, community will only see your username that you can freely choose. But in the next months, we're actually going to be making it so that uh, each user is going to have a mix of three words, like we have it with Helium, mm-hmm. so to make it even more anonymous. And we're using uh, avatars within our app, uh, and um, it's uh, going to be actually uh, quite interesting to see uh, how users also see the next update that we're bringing out next week, which is already going to entail a lot of this. Uh, Amazing. Yeah, it's just one of those things I know, especially in the Web3 space that uh, people care a lot about. And it's part of your your product. And I want to make sure that people knew that that was an important factor to how you're architecting and building that. So what are use cases that are unlocked by this data that you're collecting with Silencio? Can, can you talk me through you know, how existing Web2 applications or, or new Web3-based applications will start leveraging this data uh, and really realize the value of what you're collecting on the supply side? That was only, I think what is always quite helpful is uh, an analogy. So imagine next time you're, you know, looking for a restaurant or an open table, uh, you want to find a quiet place uh, or a venue that, you know, you can take a phone call if you're on the road kind of thing. Um, or you want to find a, a hotel with a noise score. And so actually in hotels, the number one complaint is noise. And when you're moving, where you're looking for a new property and you want to see what is the noise relationship here during the evening, perhaps when you didn't visit the, the location, what what does noise look like during the week or on a weekend? Does it change uh, according to different times or days of the week? So those are some initial use cases that we're looking at, especially in real estate. That's a factor that is already using this data today on a computed static level. 
and we're coming in with a product that is really a hundred times better here. Obviously, we're still in early days, but it's pretty promising what we're building and the um, uh, feedback we're getting from potential data buyers. Yeah. yeah. So, as a if I was a Zillow, for example, if there was a high rise, and I, and I know this firsthand when I first moved to a high rise in a in a bigger city, I started kind of on the middle floor. The noise level was quite loud, and it wasn't a, a, an enjoyable experience. So I moved up a little bit, and that seems to dissipate with your hyper-targeted collection, your data could be so accurate that you could say on the 13th floor, you're going to see sort of this level on a Monday at five o'clock, this level on a Sunday at three in the morning. And same thing on the 30th floor, you're going to see that. And, and you're able to actually collect and share that so that it could be built into like a Zillow application, for example. Is that right? Yeah. So within the data collection capabilities, we are uh, nourishing, so to say, different data sets. So on one side, we have the open measurements that are taking place as you walk through the street, um, which is also important to mention that uh, as we want to make this experience as frictionless as possible, in the next three months, we're actually going to be bringing out an update that is going to include a passive measurement mechanism. What this means is that uh, for the, let's say, very uh, enthusiastic and, and very dedicated community, we're going to have an uh, extremely gamified approach which is a mix of what we like to call Helium and Pokemon Go. But we also know that a lot of people uh, are super eager to contribute to this network. But, you know, maybe they just want to forget about the app and leave it running in the background uh, anonymously and sporadically and be able to come back every couple of days or weeks and see how their earnings are. So really acting like a, let's say, passive miner in the deep end, let's say, first uh, kind of like uh, projects that, that people got exposed to. And it, this will enable us also to really ramp up our data collection capabilities um, by a quite a, a higher degree. And it will also enable us to, to create even further data sets, which is extremely interesting. And we can go a bit into detail in a, in a bit. Um, but this means that we're going to be collecting uh, street-level data and also check-in data. Check-in data is uh, you living like a Google review. Uh, when you enter a, a venue, you, you can create a 15-second snapshot of what your actually sound uh, levels are in that venue, and then you check in, and that gives you rewards within the app. And uh, those uh, check-in use cases are going to be, um, you know, nourishing the use cases uh, for API-driven data sales, for hotel booking platforms, and restaurant booking platforms. So for hotel booking platforms, as Theo was saying, noise is the number one complaint worldwide. If you go on booking alone, there are over a million noise complaints. And wow. today, yeah, there is actually no way of, of knowing what the actual sound score of an hotel is before you go there. So we envision a future where geolocation is going to be affecting our day-to-day -day decisions in terms of our quality of life, anywhere from where you live to where you spend your free holiday time or where you even eat, uh, based on the different use cases that this data is also enabling. I'd, I'd love to talk a little bit further about some of those, the data sets specifically that you're collecting. One of the uh, anecdotes that I'd shared offline was I, I was using Google Maps to find a restaurant. This is probably a year or so ago. And I noticed that they had added this, this vibe section. And so it was sort of what you would expect in terms of lighting and, and the ambiance and all of these other factors. But there was nothing to do with sound. And arguably, if you're going to go have a business meeting, if you're going to go to a cafe and work, that is likely the most important decision factor if you're trying to have an intimate conversation with somebody or if you want to go to a cafe to have phone calls and, and exactly as you said, and without having that 
real life, real time check-in. There's no way for you to audit that and and check that out as a user before you even show up until you you realize that it's a little too late. And if you've already made your reservation and paid for it, you're sort of screwed. So I think there's so many novel use cases to how that real-time data is going to just make user experiences better. And it's a it's a value add for the businesses because they can they can say, hey, look, if this is what you're looking for, you can verify that other people have already, you know, kind of checked that that is in fact the case. But you talked through some of those data sets and, and can you unpack that a little bit further for what you're collecting and kind of how that builds into your, eventually what you'll sell to, to businesses via your API? Sure. So in terms of uh, noise level data and everything related to noise, uh, our initial data sets are going to be on one side street level data uh, accessible via API, mostly targeted for real estate platforms, which we're already running uh, multiple pilot projects. So for them, it's super interesting because there is a strong potential that uh, you know geo uh, or um, geo data is going to start influencing you know square uh, meter pricing of real estate uh, worldwide in the near future, uh, given that it's such a big component of, of uh, you know how you live on a day-to-day, -day, how you work on a day-to-day. -day. Um, there are even studies uh, showing a link, uh, almost a 10% reduction in work efficiency, depending on the ambient uh, soundscape in which you're working. So imagine saying this also to, let's say, to the awareness of Fortune 500 companies, we're talking billions in the damage. Um, so, and on the other hand, we are gonna be creating um, the data sets, as I was saying before, the checking functionalities, which are also going to be accessible via API calls. These are going to be priced uh, similar to uh, Google's air quality API. Uh, Google did a, a major move uh, in terms of purchasing Brizometer last year, which is one of the biggest uh, air quality uh, aggregators um, uh, worldwide. And uh, we're going to be also creating data sets uh, for noise complaints worldwide. Uh, there are over 100 million noise complaints a year, and they usually are just lost. You, know, you cannot really do any, anything with that. There is no central authority for collecting this data and to be able to improve the well-being of citizens upon this data. So imagine if you have like 10,000 noise complaints around an airport, you could actually use that data in order to influence the, you know, the lives of the people living there to the better. And there's even a study showing that just a night flight in Brussels alone causes a damage of over 30,000 euros, just one flight. Wow. This is people waking up and not being able to perform at work tomorrow because uh, they couldn't fall back to sleep or being under chronic stress because of being constantly exposed to flights. Um, th there are tons of different reasons why this happens. And it acts like, you know, one drop on top of the other. And it ends up being, you know, a lagoon impacting, so to say, uh, the economic output of an of economy. Yeah. I, one of the things that was really uh, enlightening to me was I never thought of noise as being a problem and what became more and more apparent through research and having different conversations with you guys is that it, it does genuinely become death by a thousand cuts and what is something that is so seemingly innocuous ends up becoming quite profound in terms of you know data you shared around life expectancy or just your ability to to work and be focused and whatnot and your fight or flight response and these kinds of things and so it's it's really fascinating that the, these problems that don't inherently seem like problems are in fact solvable by th this novel, you know, deepened approach plus all the other interesting things that you're doing. And so the, I, I wanted to follow up with that by saying, how does the 
the, the deep and narrative, and you talked about this a little bit, but but how how is the deep and narrative really enabling what you're doing, and and why wasn't this type of collection really possible before before this new kind of innovative this new innovative model here? It's a good question, Tiger, and uh, happy to answer that. So I would say uh, it was possible uh, prior to this, and that uh, proves it by a company that we'd like to see as a competitor slash partner, to be honest. So it's it's a company called Talkprint, and they are connecting uh, data in, on uh, gastronomies. That happens on a completely voluntary basis. It's a very niche product, you know, yet they have like a quarter of a million users out there leaving reviews on noise, etc. We took that a little bit also as a confirmation of what we're doing. And surprisingly, that is a lot that uh, aims at, uh, I would say, older generation. Uh, so perhaps, you know, our parents here um, who are looking for venues that are particularly quiet. So they're much, they're much more noise sensitive, you know. And that's normal because as you get older, the more noise sensitive you get. So that proved to us that there is certainly companies out there trying to, to do something about it. Uh, yet what happens here is that there's no really incentive to take this into the millions of users and make the readings really um, as as precise as possible and reduce margin of errors. Because what happens is if a user goes into a restaurant and leaves one single review, it's like leaving a review for, for that Starbucks coffee you didn't like. If it only has one bad review, you can't trust. But if you have, right. let's say, 500 or 1,000 reviews, it gives you a more accurate picture of what the reality is in that place. Uh, and so we believe that the deepen narratives, you replace that huge, um, so to say, in driver, in incentive, in people joining the network, delivering value, and getting also rewarded for that. Yeah. And I think right, right on that, you could actually, one great example that I like to use, there's another company, which is a nonprofit organization uh, that is called uh, Sound uh, Planet. And uh, they have actually been trying to map out noise pollution with smartphones since uh, 2008. And this really? is an initiative that was done mainly by, um, by scientists uh, worldwide. And uh, I mean, it's super exciting because we are not reinventing the wheel in that sense. We're injecting the deepen equation to it. And uh, if you see what these guys were able to do, which is really... I, I, we love their product uh, and, and we love what they did. But if, if in terms of data collection capabilities, these guys were able to get about 80,000 scientists worldwide to join this cause and to create uh, data over the last 15 years. So when we started Silencio, actually since last May, the same where the product started getting some traction, we were able just in about six or seven months to collect more data than they were able to do in 15 years. And that's, and that's again, the power of Deepin. This is that's why amazing. this Deepin narrative, it gets you 20 times faster to, to the goal. And the same was for Helio. If, if you would have taken a bigger you know, tech player to try to replicate what Helio was doing, it would have taken them, you know, if, if it would have been possible, you know, definitely uh, I, I would say 10 times longer and uh, without even talking about any type of regulatory constraints. The proof positive is in the data, and um, it's it's quite clear that that deep narrative is both accelerating and just enabling this to happen so much faster. But what is the long term vision for Silencio look like? How are you taking 
the the current product, the deep narrative, the different applications of what's possible with this data, uh, and and how does that look in a year, and five years, ten years, so on and so forth? Can you talk to me about the long term goal that you're trying to build here? Sure. So we we have um, quite a fascinating long term goal, and uh, really we we think that uh, it's going to be super interesting to see where the whole deep narrative evolves to. For us as Silencio, we envision a future in which Silencio will essentially become the go-to hub to commercialize smartphone-generated data. So we don't want to stop at, at noise-level data itself because through collecting noise-level data, we're also tapping into further very exciting data sets. Let's say once we start actually collecting uh, passive measurements, we're going to be collecting uh, anonymously also geolocation data, which... Mm. It, Earn also is a very interesting market to look into. It's a very established market with over a 16 billion plus in, in revenue, growing at over 15% a year, and uh, where there are over 100 established data buyers. And some of these we've been already having a lot of chats with. Some of these were actually want to partner with us actively because they already are telling us that they would have loved to see a product like this uh, already back in the days. And... Uh, that they, they see that data collection capabilities for us are enormous. If you think about the fact that uh, the most important thing is really to build your healthy community of like-minded people that, that see this vision. And once you're in the millions of users, um, it's very exciting to see where you can actually further move in terms of further data collection capabilities. So we really envision a future in which our users are going to enter the platform and they're going to select which type of data they want to share, which type of data they want to commercialize, or just interact with the data if they don't want to share anything at all, because there's value in that. There are over 800 million noise-sensitive people in the world that would love to get access to our data. So yeah. we really want to, through that, also make the world not a more fairer place, but at the same time, also uh, a better place. And, and I think this is where not only Deepin, but Web3 comes into, into play. Now, I just wanted to add on to uh, what Thomas mentioned there. I think... This is uh, also a goal of, of ours is to, you know, become a catalyst for uh, Web2 and Web3. So bringing people into the Web3 world with a Web2 product, so to say. So as Thomas says, they're free to choose what they do. Uh, and if they, you know, want to go that uh, rabbit hole of, of having their tokens and then one day being able to exchange those tokens or, or do whatever they want with them, that's up to the user to decide. I think that the beauty here is that there's nothing wrong with commercializing uh, smartphone data as long as that value flows back to the user. And if right. we manage to prove that, we hope that that, you know, fuels again the kind of like the supply side and the network yeah. effects in the whole project. And there's yeah. actually one interesting point to add there. So what is the big challenge for data buyers today? If it's data coming from smartphones, how can they actually know that this data was actually given to this uh, data aggregator uh, with a full permission from that mm. user? So right. it's very hard for them, right? It's a Wawa West out there in terms of knowing where this data came from. And this is where blockchain also can enable us to create uh, transactions on the chain for every time you, as a user, allowed uh, Silencio or any other type of mobile-based platform to, to give access, uh, get access to your data for the time frame that you desire and commercialize it for that time frame. I mean, this is unmutable in that sense. So 
I think there's also in terms of data collection in the future and, and privacy and being aware of what you're sharing and what you want to share and what you don't want to share, it's really going to change the landscape. Yeah, I'm I, so fascinated by it. I can just, can you give me like a 30,000 foot view of what are some of these other types of data collection sets that you're thinking about that are that are valuable to these data collection buyers that are interested in that you can tap with the smartphone and your app? Can you just give a few examples so we can be thinking about what that future might look like? Yeah, I, I think it's important to mention that for us, uh, I mean, we always want to keep our flagship product, uh, which is noise level data. And through that, you know, expand into uh, the actual horizontals that, that we start seeing. And uh, geolocation is a very positive externality of what we're seeing. So this is going to be the next market that we're going to be tapping into. And uh, it's a very established market, as I was saying. So they're already established pricing, which makes the ROI expectations much easier as well. Um, at the same time, uh, I was mentioning before, we're going to be, um, you know, improving our data collection capabilities uh, or enabling also check-in functionalities, uh, noise complaints, but also in-app hearing tests. This was something I didn't mention before, but there's a market for it as well. There's even a company uh, very interested. Uh, they're based in Berlin. They're called Mimi, and uh, they have over a million users, in-app users, just to do noise uh, hearing tests. So really. Yeah, and, and this is super valuable data because through this, you can actually create tailored products for the end user in terms that are completely tailored to your hearing capabilities. So imagine if I would be selling you, uh, you know, noise canceling headphones that are tailored to you to reduce the amount of damage I'm doing to your ears the most possible and at the same time give you the best experience. Imagine the same with TVs. Uh, imagine the same with hearing devices. Uh, so. There's definitely another interesting market to, to explore down the line. Um, so in that sense, we really want to be making sure we take one step at a time and having that long-term vision in place. And uh, there are definitely more data sets that we could be talking about today, uh, but uh, I think uh, it wouldn't be prudent for us to share yet uh, as we, we have not done our full due diligence. Understand. Theo, I wanted to go back to something you talked about, which is giving a web to user experience for the masses. And this is probably where we can circle back to uh, the other brother that isn't here. But one of the things that I was also impressed with by your product, and we're all product builders here, so we know how hard it can be to build web three user experiences, uh, was the familiarity that the app had when you go in. There's a, a wall there that you can have your tokens, but it was it felt very web two. I think the the Pokemon Go kind of example was uh, a very uh, on-brand one for what you're doing because it felt so seamless in that sense. And so, uh, how how has that? How have you been approaching and, and really straddling some of the challenges from building user experiences that are scalable to the masses? Because I think that's certainly one of the the important things that you have going for you. That let's be honest, in, in a lot of the Web three space, just isn't quite the case. Uh, so I'd, I'd love to hear about how you've kind of thought through that a little bit more. I appreciate the question, Tyler, but I gotta be honest. Um, Thomas is the one obsessed with the product and he is the one who sees the, the vision behind it. And I know that he gets inspired by, you know, reading a lot of uh, um, stuff out there on, on, you know, best products out there and what they have done to, you know, create a captivating experience. So I think he's the best suited to answer that. Um, Theo, but uh, happy if you add any anything that you would like. Um, I think, I mean, I would just keep it uh, rather short there, but 
for us, the most important thing is that you're creating something that is enjoyable, frictionless, and hyperscalable. And to be honest, if there's anybody building out there in the deep end space and you guys are looking uh, to do something on a mobile-based approach, uh, a book I would definitely recommend you is called Hooked. And um, I mean, the narrative is about, we, we all know that the tricks that big tech is using for us to you know stay hooked, so to say, to social media. But we feel that uh, some, sometimes uh, the only exception in which I would feel confident in terms of uh, using, so to say, psychological approaches in order to incentivize a higher usage of an application is when there is a net positive income or net positive impact on the other side. Oh, here we're actually creating both. But um, so it's super exciting for us if we can use these mechanisms to really shape the world for the better. And uh, as Theo is saying, we're really overly, uh, very much, so to say, concentrated on, on improving this product and obsessed with uh, making sure that our users love this product and we can scale it to millions of users. So that's why, uh, as Theo was saying, we are very focused on listening to our community and we're creating focus groups. Uh, we are testing all our continuous updates uh, with internal groups and always getting that valuable feedback that uh, Web3 uh, enables you compared to other approaches. And I would just say for anybody that is a builder in the space and you want to look at a app example that does have very low levels of friction to it, this is a this is a good one just for a case study in that sense. Slightly unrelated to product-specific things, uh, we got connected by our mutual friend Max over at Peak. I'm just curious if you could talk really briefly on what is the relationship between uh, what you're doing at Silencio and Peak? How does that fit into your business? And uh, I'm just curious if you could touch on that briefly here for us. Definitely. I think that's a nice one segue um, based on your previous question, given that we are doing everything here at the Web 2.5 approach, uh, we like to say. So that means we're not on chain yet. Um, we don't have a token. Uh, everything that happens now inside the app um, is experience points. And so essentially that's going to be reflected down the line once you know we go on chain, uh, that value that everyone delivered is going to be proportionally paid out in that uh, token airdrop. But more on, on the peak side, um, I think, first of all, Peak is is an excellent layer one on a technical level, trying to um, help us wherever we need at all times. And so there's a couple of reasons why we chose to work with them. Uh, but essentially, I think they approached us uh, back a couple of months ago when we were evaluating different blockchains, you know, there are one solutions out there, where to build. We had experience with, with other, uh, you know, um, uh, layer one spec algorands uh, in the past, and we were looking at Ethereum, Polygon, obviously Solana, etc. But I would say these guys, uh, their vision uh, in giving that value back to the to the people, and you know, having kind of the IoT uh, space merge with AI and crypto, I think it's it's awesome. And so I think we share that vision, and so that that captivated us. Um, on a technical level, uh, Thomas can uh, dig a little bit into that, but on a personal level as well, these guys are based in Germany, so are we. Uh, we have pretty much a straightforward uh, communication channel to them. They're giving us attention we need to you know, uh, scale. And I think that together we, we still have a long trajectory to walk. That's fantastic. Yeah, I think that's amazing. And 
Yeah, I mean, just to add there on the technical level, we honestly didn't have any type of constraints. Um, we even found it amazing that we could actually solve one of the classical deep end problems, uh, which was related to unique machine IDs. So what we're going to be doing is uh, really making sure that every machine has a unique ID within our chain and you as a user will be able to have a wallet uh, attached to different machine IDs. So this could be your smartwatch, this could be um, you know, your smartphone uh, and, and the push the boundaries in terms of our data collection capabilities. So before I also mentioned that we are quite aware in terms of a project of what our CO2 footprint is, because it is a global project. So we need to be very aware of uh, how we want to uh, create these data collection capabilities. So they're also truly fully aligned on that. They're one of the greenest chains as well out there. Um, and as Theo was saying before, not only are they very professional, but on a human level, we are completely aligned as well. And I think this is what really made us take that leap of faith uh, because they're a, a young chain, we understand, but there's definitely a, a let's say, multi-chain uh, potential future for us down the line but we definitely want to start this journey with them and uh, see where the deep end narrative goes. I love it. I love it. The synergies are aligned and uh, it's great to hear that there are um, sort of mutual values that are a part of your partnership network, which is, which is so great to hear. How can users get involved with Silencio? What, what are the ways that they can either get access to the app, they can become part of the, the ecosystem and the network of contributors, being part of focus groups? What, what does it look like for users getting involved? I think it depends really much on the user himself or herself. Um, so to start off downloading the app, you know, um, from either the Google Play Store or iOS Store with the promo code you're going to give them. Um, I, I'm going to do it. You better believe it. You should, sure, because I mean, that's also one of the small gamification features we have. Every user you invite to the network, right, Bill, you also benefit on the value they generate. So there's that incentive. Um, but beyond downloading it, test it out, you know, go into places, check in uh, into places, play, really just, you know, try to bring it to, to, to all the field out there. And uh, you can join our Discord server, follow us, obviously, on social media, et cetera. But I think if you really want to get involved, uh, we have uh, a lot of uh, contributors in Discord giving us amazing value uh, and, and a lot of feedback. If you are one that uh, wants to join, you know, just feel free to reach out. We try to, to be as responsible uh, and responsive uh, to everyone. Yeah, that's great. I would like also to share, um, given that you will probably be airing this before December 1st, um, I would like to invite also all your viewers, if you guys want to partake in something that we have not disclosed yet, so you're actually getting the sneak preview. I love the alpha. I love it. Let's go. <laughs> uh, basically, we're going to be doing a challenge for all of December, which is going to entail uh, you know, giving a reward for the 10 users that have created the most value for the month of December. So everybody has the same chances, no matter how long they've been part of Silencio. Of course, depending on how long you've been part of it, you're going to be ranked differently in our league system for the beta airdrop, but this is another story. I just wanted to share this uh, small gold nugget that uh, we're going to be providing more information soon, but it's going to be very exciting and the rewards are going to be quite interesting as well. So we look forward uh, also to you know welcoming a lot of people to our community in the near future. With our app update next week, um, we feel very confident that uh, it really is enhancing the gamification capabilities. 
and uh, also another sneak peek um, we are going to be also not only implementing the passive measurement uh, that so many people are already asking for there's going to be a, a streak uh, mechanism that is going to increase your rewards uh, for the periods of days that you're actually staying loyal to the app and coming back every day and at the same time um, you're going to be able to interact with the community on a deeper level yeah, so we're very happy to see uh, uh, how people interact with that. There's going to be quests coming soon that are going to reward you for doing different activities, all the way from checking into venues to, you know, walking around your neighborhood and creating value for the app. So, uh, yeah, Tyler, also, we, we uh, uh, are very thankful for the, the chat today and we uh, are looking forward to see how our things evolve. Yeah, well, I... A, just to really appreciate all the time that you've uh, taken with, with us and our viewers to, to share about what you're building. It is a very interesting and unique uh, problem that you're solving, and you're doing it in a really uh, innovative and, and quite unique way that is clearly resonating with people, um, especially just given how many, how many users are on the platform and all the, the data that you've collected and, and generated in such a short amount of time. Um, so I wanted to say, say, throw it back and say, thank you for coming on. We'll be sure to absolutely link everything in terms of the app store, your guys' handles, Twitter X now, I guess, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But are there any final last words that you wanted to share before we wrap it up? Uh, just for you, keep on interviewing other deep end projects out there. I think it's a, a super exciting space. It's growing rapidly and, uh, you know, uh, awesome to see where this narrative of deep end is, is taking us and. To also see businesses manage, uh, you know, create a sustainable business model behind this, because I think it's super promising. Uh, we do have a lot of uh, challenges yet ahead, but I think it's it's uh, very, uh, yeah, positive what's happened. Exactly. I, I think there's so much opportunity out there. Uh, so we really invite also your viewers that want to get involved in the space, you know, check out all the different projects. Um, you know, they don't really step on each other, these projects, so they can easily coexist in, in everybody's world. Uh, and I think that's really super nice to see. And at the same time, really invite everybody to build something. If, if you see there is still a, a niche, a network that is not being addressed because collectively and, uh, you know, is how we're going to be able to make it deepen uh, the worldwide narrative that uh, it inevitably has to become. So the sooner we get there, the better it's going to be for all. I think that's a perfect way to end it. I think that's a great way uh, to explain what we're doing and uh, we're all here rallying behind the narrative. So, well, Theo, Thomas, I wanted to say thank you again. This has been a very uh, informative, enlightening conversation for myself. <clears throat> As I mentioned before, we even had our podcast. I did not know about a lot of the problems that existed with noise in general. And so it's been incredibly fascinating to hear about how you're using Deepin to solve it. We will be sure to link everything down below again that link the app store social handles website etc um, and we want to say thank you get involved go follow these guys be sure to download the app i'm going to plug my code uh, probably here at this point so that everybody can uh, get access and we will see you on the next one theo and thomas thank you so much tyler we're gonna give Thanks you one last gold nugget yeah let's we're go give you, for everybody that is going to be using your code so until the 1st of uh, January, we're going to give them an extra 100 noise coins where they join. So we're going to be actually doing that airdrop in the in the first week of January. So you can communicate that with your users. That's amazing. We love it. Amazing. Thank you. We appreciate that so much, guys. That's going to be awesome. Well, I will, um, you'll certainly want to sign up now because it just got that much better. 
Amazing guys. Yeah, really. Thanks for having us. Bye-bye. Of course. Thank you.